Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. It is yet another gorgeous Saturday in Topanga, California. Um, I am super stoked to bring you today's conversation with Kevin Garcia. Um, After a couple of weeks of astrology convos, I am glad to be moving on into some other topics, although this episode certainly touches on a lot of the same concepts around spirituality and faith and God, etc., but for through a much different lens. Um, today we're talking a lot about religion and Christianity and Jesus and the intersection with spirituality and magic, yes, but also gender and sexuality. Um, Kevin and I met through the internet, and we tell the story about how that happened, Um, But I just, I feel like probably a broken record, but it's just so cool to me to be able to have these conversations and bring them to you guys. I really hope that you have been finding them valuable. I know a lot of you have uh, reached out or talked to me in person to tell me that you have. I always enjoy getting that feedback though. So if you guys have feedback, positive and negative, write me, send me an email, um, message me on Instagram. Uh, write a review for the show, although only do that if you like it. No, just kidding. You're free to say whatever you want. But um, anyway, I, I'm really grateful uh, to have this show. I have so many amazing guests lined up uh, on so many different topics. Next week, I'm going to be bringing you guys a conversation um, with uh, Kiona, who runs an Instagram account called How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch. And we talk all about uh, travel and responsible travel and, you know, not um, being a culturally appropriating asshole when you go anywhere. (laughs) Um, And so we talk a lot about race and um, a lot of really cool things on that show. I have an interview lined up with someone from... um, the Savory Institute to talk all about regenerative regenerative agriculture. So definitely broadening our topics here. And I am stoked about it. And I hope you guys are too. Um, what else to share? I have been super busy. Um, I'm in a phase of my life right now where I have a lot of remnants of things and responsibilities from the past, things that make me money, Um, routines, etc., that I've kind of now had to integrate into a lot of the new avenues that I'm exploring in my life. Um, 
including the podcast and sort of trying to figure out how I want to integrate astrology in, into my professional life, if at all. Um, so it's just been an interesting transition period and one that I'm not unfamiliar with. There have been a lot of times in my life as someone who's changed paths many times where there's this um, sort of dying off of something old and a growing of something new, but that middle period in which both are happening is just a little bit like trying to find balance on a balance beam. Um, but it's interesting. It's an interesting space to be in for me because I think it, or for anyone really, it gives us the opportunity to really ask ourselves questions about what it is that is authentic and what it is that we want to do and how to integrate these things and also like release a lot of control around it and just say how, you know, I don't really know what the future is going to look like. I don't really know how to construct what this thing is that I'm trying to construct. And so let me kind of just sit back and see what comes into my life and go from there. Um, on that note, I am getting ready to record the second solo bonus podcast episode for my Patreon supporters. Um, so if you're not familiar with Patreon, when I created this show, I made a commitment to keeping it totally ad free, um, which is how the vast majority of podcasts make money. So instead of that, because I'd like to have this podcast be at least one part of my career, um, I decided to set up a Patreon page. And Patreon is a uh, site where you can support artists and creatives and activists and people who are doing really cool work in the world, but uh, for whom uh, making money doing so is challenging. So um, as we used to be patrons of the arts, you know, people with the um, uh, funds and ability to support artists that they loved they would, you know, basically support them so that they can continue, they could continue to create the work that they're creating. And so Patreon is a modern, um, uh, reimagining of that concept. And so you can go on and become a patron of, um, artists and creatives that you like, and they get to continue doing the work that they're doing. You get to enjoy it and they get to uh, be able to feed themselves and have a roof over their head. So um, I one of the perks that I have for my patrons is uh, a bonus monthly solo podcast. And so the last one I recorded was all about my upcoming move to Colorado and how that came about. And I wove in a few other personal stories um, and events that had occurred in my life at the time to kind of reflect on um, the nature of sadness and the meaning of um, loss and how we can utilize both to create uh, different futures. So the next one that I'm going to be recording is going to be all about like life plans. So um, this is been a very um, overarching theme in my life for a while around like whether or not to make a plan for one's life. And for a very, very long time, I was, I would always say like, my plan is the non-plan plan. Um, especially professionally, um, I would just sort of be like, Hey, I'm interested in this. So I'm going to explore it Oh, This thing fell into my lap. Cool. Like, do I think I'm going to be doing this job forever? No, but it seems like what I should be doing now. So why don't I just do it and see where it goes? And recently I 
made a lot of inroads into actually trying to make a plan that was then kind of derailed again. And so it was like an interesting lesson in my own lesson around like, should we or should we not make a plan? And what does that look like? And how are we both being in control of our lives and taking steps to create the future that we want, but also not doing so to the detriment of possibility, right? Like if we're so certain about the path that we're supposed to take and some amazing opportunity drops in our lap and doesn't really quite look like what we imagined, do we walk away from that? Or um, do we see that as a message that maybe we need to be taking a different route or, or another path? So I'm going to be recording a podcast episode about that um, and my through my own experience. I'm going to be talking about a plan that I had made to go to grad school and some other things and just sort of speak about um, how to exist in the world with with end without control. So that's going to be the episode I'm recording probably in the next week. Um, I also have tons of other perks on Patreon. I release monthly columns of inspiration. I do monthly horoscope columns. I've got shirts uh, to give away as a perk. And I'm also going to be starting uh, monthly worksheets or, or, or like 101s around some sort of philosophical or cosmological, psychological concept. The first one that I'm going to be doing is all about spiritual bypassing. So... Um, whether or not you care about those perks, if you just want to support the show, I would really, really appreciate if you became a patron. The way to check all that out is to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Anya Cates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. And the money that you're giving me is not just in exchange for these perks, right? Like the money that you're giving me is kind of like public radio in the sense that you are supporting the work that I'm doing so that I can continue to do it. Um, as I mentioned on my last show, I would really love to make this a more immersive experience for everyone. I would love to do more interviews in person, which would enable me to actually not just meet people in person, but those whom run communities or organizations or have places around the world that I can explore and share that with you you know, not only does this just podcast as is with time and money and equipment cost and a lot of time and energy, um, but starting to travel and, and doing some more things is also quite expensive. And so um, would really appreciate your support. If you can't support the show, I understand you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can leave me a review and some stars. This helps the podcast reach more people. My end goal in all of this is to expand this community and reach as many people as possible. And as you'll hear Kevin and I speak about in this show, community is a, is a topic that we talk about a lot and um, what it means to have a community, what it means to have physical space where people can go. And um, I, a lot of the work I would like to do in the world involves physical space. Um, but the first step in doing that is to do my own research and to interview cool people and to create a um, community through Patreon, through the podcast, etc., where when it comes time to be like, hey, let's build cool shit in the world, that we've got this really core group of amazing people that share values. So that might seem really broad, um, which it sort of is, but all I really have right now in my life is this sort of like energetic idea of what I'd like to create. And I know for sure that that involves community. And so whatever that looks like down the line, my 
inclination and my goal in starting this podcast was not just to like talk at people or even bring you guys meaningful conversations. Like obviously that's what I want to do, but what I wanted to do even more was to be a voice that I didn't hear publicly and to be like, Hey, I'm this person. This is how I feel. This is how I live my life. These are what my values are in an effort to, um, inspire and hold space and, um, nurture people who, you know, were in my position before I was able to figure shit out. So I think I mentioned this on the first episode of the show, but when I was first going through a lot in my life, like I like Googled, like what resources for the worst time in your life? (laughs) You know, I didn't have a community. I didn't have a space. I didn't have a mentor. I had no idea where to go. And so one of the main reasons for me to start this podcast was to be like, Hey, I'm here. This is a place to go. Um, this is a place for young and old people who are really sick of the conventional black and white dialogue who want to not just think in different ways, but also make choices that can create a different future than the one that we are actively participating in and creating at this time. So all that to say, this podcast is really just an elaborate disguise for me to meet cool people and make friends. (laughs) Um, It's honestly not that far off. (laughs) But not only do I want to do that, I want to help you guys do that too. Um, it was a long, shitty journey for me in my life to think that there was nobody like me in the world. So all I feel like I can do is be myself and share that with you guys and create the world I want to live in. And if that's something you guys think is cool too, awesome. And whether you listen to the show and support it that way, or you support me on Patreon, or you write a review, or leave a star, or do nothing of the sort, Um, but just dedicate some of your time in the week to listening to me ramble on. Um, I appreciate all of it. And on that note, I'm going to shut up. Um, Hope you guys enjoy this conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. Um, cool. Okay. So I feel like before we get started, we have to give credit where credit is due Mm -hmm. to Jonathan Van Ness. (laughs) (laughs) Because the love of my life. (laughs) Yeah. So basically the reason that Kevin and I are connected is because Jonathan Van Ness reposted your Instagram story from election day. And I just thought you were like the cutest thing ever. And so I went to your page and I saw that you, like your whole thing was around like the intersection between gender and sexuality and religion, which is like totally my thing. It's been something that I've been super fascinated about for a really long time. Um, And I just thought I had to talk to you. It seemed like divine intervention. (laughs) She lines it all up for us, right? Yes. Yes. And yeah, I was super like, first of all, Jonathan Van Ness, I love you. If you are listening, which I'm sure that you are, call me girl. (laughs) Like, let's get, let's go get our hair did. I'm speaking of nails did. Speaking of, don't look too closely at mine. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, yeah. Which is so crazy. This is what I love about the internet because you can literally link up with the coolest people from the most random ways of getting there. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. I think it's awesome. And like, here we are connected and it's the bomb. Yeah. 
Um, okay, cool. So I let's dive right into it. I would love to talk about you and your journey. Um, and we chatted a little bit early earlier this week and just for the listeners, for me, which I haven't totally talked about that much before is my interest in religion. And I think when I found out my, my dad was gay at a very young age, I recognized obviously like that, that religion was one of the, um, spaces in which prejudice was coming from. And it didn't, it didn't make any logical sense to me that something like that, that something was, that was rooted in like faith and love could produce something that turned into such hatred and vitriol and the type of person I am, like, I always am just like, well, that doesn't seem right. So let's dive into it and figure it out and deconstruct it. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit about your journey, like where you began and how you ended up where you are. And we can kind of jump off from there. Yeah. And also if you want any information or like, you want to talk about this later on, but how, um, Cause like, if you like, uh, my friend Kathy Baldock wrote this amazing book called Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. And it is a socio-political history of, uh, basically of public and public attitude and like religious attitude towards, uh, homosexuals and gay people when it was coined that term way back in the day. And now towards LGBTQ people. The other one I would say Rescuing Jesus by Deborah Jian Lee also gives a very clear picture of like evangelicalism over the past really 75 years and how it's developed into what it is. And so from that, we can actually see that how a, re- a religion, and like if you want to trace it all the way back to like the beginning of how the early church formed and how religion was used across the world, is that it became less about uh, it became less about, you know, the, the tenets of the faith, love, charity, um, creating a better world, um, wanting to, uh, like in the Jewish sense, there's a Jewish term called tikkun olam, which means uh, to putting the world back together in partnership with the divine. Um, you can see how a beautiful, powerful story about death overcoming, or excuse me, life overcoming death could be manipulated into something um, other than what it was meant to do, which was to liberate the most lowly people. But mm. we can get into, into that in a second. Um, my journey, uh, my, my name is Kevin Miguel Garcia. I am a, a gender fluid, queer individual living in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a seminarian, which means I go to a seminary and study theology and pastoral care. And, uh, I'm a, I'm a content creator. I write blogs and I make podcasts and videos about the queer Christian experience, uh, where I started, I grew up in the South, like, um, like every, I feel like all these are like, I grew up in a religious Christian home. <laughs> it's not like every queer Christian, like, uh, yeah. uh testimony begins, <laughs> you know, if we want to use that triggering word, I apologize. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in the South. My father was military. My mother was uh, a homemaker and an independent woman and like freaking amazing. Um, my uncle was the pastor. We were in church two or three times a week. Um, and I knew from a really, really young age that I loved church. And I also knew that God loved me uh, because church for me was family. It's like the closest thing to communal living that we were going to be able to get to. Cause like I had so many aunts and uncles, like all of my friends were like my cousins and there was a real sense of camaraderie. And that's what like the world I grew up in was pretty loving. Now being like queer 
And I, I knew I was different from a very young age, but like not being in a space where one could feel safe to explore those uh, feelings and emotions and desires and ways of expressing oneself. Um, you know, I just, I just knew that I had this weird feeling. I knew that it was different. I was like the very effeminate kid who like, Kevin, do you want to go play football? Nah, I'd rather like go play on the swings with my two girlfriends and pretend we were like characters in Harry Potter. I was always Hermione. Just <laughs> of for course. the record. Should have been a sign. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a, it was weird. I, I didn't really know. I didn't really realize like what these feelings and emotions were until high school. And I recognized that I was attracted to another boy and totally just like, um, lost it. Like I was so scared because I was super involved with my church. I was starting to lead worship. Like I knew that I wanted to be a, like a pastor in some way. And I just, um, I shut down in many ways and, uh, I was already kind of weird. And so like, it didn't like, you know, adding one more thing on top of that would make it even weirder. Um, and, uh, I kept it a secret for about a, a year until my sophomore year. My dad just asked me point blank if I was gay and then outed me to my mother. And I was put into reparative therapy. Um, and reparative therapy is, um, the, in my opinion, well, not in my opinion, it is an immoral practice that teaches people basically that, that through prayer, fasting, and the quote unquote power of the Holy Spirit, that you can change your orientation from anything that is non-heterosexual into heterosexual. Um, it was through Exodus International, which started to shift towards the end of its work, but ultimately closed its door in 2012, apologizing for the damage that they had caused to thousands of people because people in that program uh, took their own lives. Um, I am someone who, because of that, I attempted twice. Um, so it was, it was a really bad thing. And, and even today, um, it's, even though it might not be called reparative therapy or conversion therapy or ex-gay therapy, there's all sorts of different, uh, fun little names are giving it now, but ultimately like that's their belief. And it was there that I really learned how to hate my desire. I learned how to hate my body and I was going to basically, I was going to subdue my body. Like this was a thing to be tamed mm-hmm. and it was taxing, like, you know, take captive every thought. Well, when it's like, you know, when they say like, you know, you know, just don't masturbate and don't think about boys. You know how, like, you know what you're thinking? You're wanting to like go masturbate and think about boys or like, you know, don't think about a rainbow unicorn snorting cocaine. What are you thinking about now? Right. So it's just like, don't think about boys. Don't think about boys. Don't think about boys. And that's all that was going on because of that. I felt like my body was the sinful thing. And that's the thing I wanted to destroy. Um, and after two attempts, I, I woke up after the second time sick as shit and, um, needing to get my stomach pumped. Um, but I survived and I was like, okay, I'm alive. So this means one of this, I was like, I need to assign meaning to this. If I'm alive, maybe there's a reason. And so I thought, A, I need to get on board with celibacy and just ride that wave or B, I need to, um, I need to figure out what, the, what I really believe about this. Mm-hmm. So that's like the first time I Googled gay and Christian. I came across uh, the Gay Christian Network, which is now known as uh, the Q Christian Fellowship. I came across Reformation Project. And even in that, like finding all these new voices and realizing that there was different ways to read the Bible and that different traditions had interpreted scriptures different ways um, and that they were all faithful. 
to the go- the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were just different ways of expressing it. I was like, oh my gosh, I could maybe think about this differently. Didn't stop me from still trying to like get rid of the gay. I, I, I dated a woman for a while when I was, I moved to Georgia. I was working for a Christian nonprofit. Um, attempted to, well, I did date a woman in an attempt. We did, we dated uh, for about four or five months. And it was in the middle of our road trip to go meet her family because that's what you also, this is another thing within like weird Christian subcultures, especially like missions subcultures. Uh, people would date for like three months, get engaged and then get married by the end of the year. Like it was like four months, meet the parents, five months, get engaged, month 10, get married. Yeah. I'm like, what? Looking back at it now, it's madness to me, yeah. but you know, everyone's got their own journey. How many of those people are going to end up divorced? We'll find out. Yeah. Um, because some of those people are just like y'all are just really unhealthy and codependent. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so um, the week that I broke up with my girlfriend, Reformation Project was coming through Atlanta. I got to attend the conference for free because I had no money, and they let me come because they're the. Pe- I will always say Reformation Project is the people's organization. They do LGBTQ advocacy work in churches to help churches become affirming of same-sex relationships and queer identities. So. Um, reformationproject.org if you want to check that out um but they changed my life it was the first time i'd ever heard an affirming sermon it was the first time that i uh felt like i was truly loved as a queer person by god and uh from then on it was like my feet felt the promised land and i'm not going back i will not go back to like how it used to be because i'm alive now it was like I went from like desperately wanting to die to like being so stoked about living for the first time. Um, and so I, uh, I still struggle with anxiety and depression um, and complex PTSD from being in some pretty like in those abusive spiritual environments. Um, and what's interesting, too, is that the thing that has helped me center myself um, beyond just that those pains and those pain points is an expanding faith that includes things that aren't strictly Christian, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people start to get really weirded out about. But like the more that I, 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 I learn about who Jesus was and like the tradition of the church, I just see Jesus as uh, not just like, I see like Jesus as more of, it's more be- like the story of Christ is more beautiful to me than ever because it compels me towards the bigness of God, the you like the bigness of an ever expanding universe. So I, um, I started getting into things like tarot card reading and, um, you know, working with, I call it casual magic because like witchcraft feels like a dedicated practice that some people have. And it's not something I would say is personally like dedicated to me, like I'm dedicated to, but I, I practice small things like that. And, um, it's helped me. It's helped me in a lot of ways. Um, cause for me, like to work with magic or to spell cast is to pray is to meditate is to send out my intention, um, is to want good for the world and for myself. And I'm like, all I told someone else the other day, I said, the only thing that magic is, is just like prayer plus intention, hard work and pretty candles. Yeah, totally. And and more than that, honestly, because but like, <laughs> if at the end of the day, like if if it's not real, okay, it still makes me feel connected to myself and to the earth and to my world. Yeah. And if that's all it is, like, I'm pretty down with that. So that's like the bird's eye view. So I'll let you tell me where you cool. want to go. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate 
hearing all of that. That's amazing. An amazing journey. Um, yeah, so much to unpack. I guess the first <laughs> thing that I wanted to say <laughs> is, you know, speaking to like the way that you handled this was to, and sort of similar to me as well was instead of saying, well, fuck Christianity and fuck religion. Mm -hmm. I want to try and find the way to make this work. And so like, if we could speak about like, what is that intersection? Right. Because Mm -hmm. I know, and I recognize that there's pushback, not just from the religious community, but from the LGBTQ community as well. Right. Right. Of like, well, but that, that, organization that religion has caused so much harm. So why are we trying to merge ourselves into that world instead of just completely separating? Um, and it sounds like your history and being raised as a Christian and feeling really comfortable in that space enabled you to do so. But I also feel like there's so many people that were just so traumatized by the whole thing that they went in the opposite direction. So mm-hmm. um, if you could speak a little more, like what made you feel so motivated to find your own space within Christianity Mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of saying, fuck it and walking away. Yeah. That is a really fantastic broad, it's like broad, but specific, you know? Um, I think a, you're completely right. Like there is the feeling of, I don't know how to, if people just don't know, like they, they think that it's, 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 black or white, one or the other. And I think that just comes from, it's a product of our own evolution in some ways, because we attempt to, I love our brain loves to sort things into binaries, right? Male, female, black, white, um, uh, religious, non-religious, Christian, non-Christian. And I think that there's, there's a misconception that the church belongs to people um, and a very specific kind of person, specifically, you know, the white cis, the white cis male, Mm-hmm. Um, who has, you know, historically throughout since the beginning of the, the church um, 2000 years ago, uh, people think that the church belongs to a person or to one group. And there is, a, I, I think when I recognize that the church belongs to God, um, um, then I, then no one can't welcome me to the table, you know, it says like, I, I, I'm going to be a little, because I am a Christian, I'll, I'll probably reference scripture and I hope that's okay. Yes, please um, do. <laughs> so like there is um, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples said to them, just like, you know, but now I call you friends because friends know what their master is doing. I don't call you servants because servants don't know what's going on, but I have told you everything just as my father has told me, you know, we're called friends of God. You know, it doesn't matter what uh, a tradition or like, you know, one interpretation of scripture has said about me or like what one person says about me, God calls me friend. Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus set the, set the table for uh, what we celebrate is the Eucharist or communion, you know, he said for you, you know, and when I, he, when I read those words, like I can just hear the spirit of the cosmic Christ saying, this is for you, you know, and there's, um, that's, that's, I think why I, I've, I stick, stick around in the church. I've had a lot of really interesting, weird, mystical woo woo experiences. Like my body has been spontaneously healed a few times. Um, uh, I've had people give me, you know, prophetic words that are spot on, but also just like, I think that what I recognized uh, in, in all of this is that had I grown up in India, I probably would be a very devout Hindu. 
Or if I grew up in the Middle East, I would probably be a very devout Muslim or, you know, whatever the regional spirituality is. And I think the reason I stay Christian is because there are still parts of it that speak to me. And I think that has a lot to do with my, that does have a lot to do with my cultural context. Um, and it's just the language I've spent my entire life speaking. Like I have Muslim friends who spent their entire life being Muslim. And so like when we talk about faith and we talk about God, we talk about the same thing, different languages and metaphors. And to us, it helps us. So that I would say like, not the only reason, but one of the reasons I stick around is just because it's the language that I speak, you know, it's the religious language that I speak well. Um, and I also being kind of like, um, I don't know. Do you talk about Enneagram stuff at all? Or do you know about Enneagram stuff? I, I know about it, but I don't talk. Okay. About <laughs> well, um, my, per- we'll just say this. My personality disposition is, um, can be like a bull in a China shop sometimes. So I'll go from like, I can be very nuanced and I can be very thoughtful, but like other times I'm just like, if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to say, fuck you. I can do this. So like when, when like people will say, oh, you can't be queer and Christian. I'd be like, fuck you. I am a Christian. What the hell do you know about my relationship with God? Nothing. Um, and also just like, you can't tell someone they're not a Christian because like it says, how are we saved by grace through faith? So even by like the most conservative metric, like anyone who claims the name of Christ as a Christian and therefore saved. So like your metrics are, are, are fucked if you don't measure it by that. Um, so that's one reason I, I stick around in it. Um, it is, it has been a place of great harm for so many people and has caused so much harm on the earth. And honestly, frankly, I will tell you this. If the church were to disappear tomorrow, I wouldn't care. Like the institutional church as it is, is a force is a deadly force if I'm being honest um, because like Christianity for so long has been weaponized and used to prop up one group and to push down another. However, at the same time, those of us who look at the message of Jesus as a liberating message um, for people who have the boots on their neck, um, it has a lot of power Um Roger Greer, who's one of my favorite um, preachers, he's an Episcopal priest based in Denver, said, um, if the if uh, theology can be used to oppress us, then it is um, a good theology that can be used to liberate us as well. Mm. Um, and, I, and I believe that's like what I want to see. When, when, when organized religion can organize around the right thing, that is when I get on board with it. Right. Yeah, it's funny you telling this. I just remembered this experience that I had when I was a kid and I was uh, in temple and I my whole childhood, I just wasn't feeling it like the more so the structural institutionalized mm-hmm. aspect of religion. And I remember the rabbi was giving a sermon and he had just had twins and there was like tons of complications at birth and they were the doctors thought they might one or both of them might might die. And so he's talking about faith and And that like, well, what am I supposed to do in that situation other than pray? Like, there's nothing I can do. And I had this moment and I feel like it was this realization that I had as a kid that carried on and helped me in the future was I thought, I suddenly realized like, oh, okay, 
I recognize here the value in believing in something because if that were ever to happen to me, if I didn't have something to pray to or I didn't have any faith in anything, that that would feel debilitating. And then like many, many years later as an adult, as I went through like some really traumatic, tumultuous times in my life, that was the only thing that got me through, right? Mm -hmm. was like, well, I have faith that I'm going through this pain and this journey for a reason. And it's Mm -hmm. like so unfortunate that religion and faith is seen and is such a destructive force because, because especially when you're, you know, a part of a marginalized community, if you're gay or trans, whatever, it's like Mm -hmm. what you need more than anything is faith in the journey. Um, And, yeah. If if the church and religion has destroyed that in some way, it's just, yeah, yeah. Just so destructive. In many ways, I think it's how we frame, um, you know, like, I guess like the question is like, you know, like, but what is the, who is the God that you serve? Right. And mm-hmm. um, when I, uh, so many people look at like, Christianity as like we got Jesus, the central figure, Jesus save people from their sins and we got to follow Jesus. So we don't go to hell boring that is boring to me um and i don't think it's like the actual message of the gospel imo um yeah when i see jesus i love um there's a school of theology called liberation theology or black liberation theology started in south america made its way into popular black academia um in the 80s james cone was one of the first writers god rest his soul but he had a lot to say about this and then also writers like um Mama Ruby, who was part of the first civil rights movement, is still like an activist today. Um, folks like that. Anyways, uh, so how liberation theology looks at suffering in many ways is that like the question of like why suffering always comes up. Because so, so we have like, you know, with the tenet that God is all good, right? And God is all powerful. So if God is all good and all powerful and everywhere at the same time, uh, then why doesn't God stop suffering? That's like the question that like people continue to throw at me. Um, and I think it's just the wrong question because it's like, I can point to the reasons I suffer as a queer person. Um, I can point to the reasons why women, uh, don't have, you know, equity with men. I can point to the reason why we have the hashtag and movement of black lives matter. We can point to these systemic structures, but having the, why I think, um, even in the cosmic sense of why suffering, even like why good thing or bad things happen to good people like cancer or hurricanes or fire, famine, flood. We look at suffering and we shake our fists at the sky and we say, why, 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 why? And really, I think there's an invitation there to see it a different way and say like, you know, what, rather than why asking the question, what now, you know, in light of who I am, what I've experienced, what am I going to do and who am I going to become? And I think specifically, too, is that the answer to suffering is not a is not a justification for it, is rather a, a, a statement of solidarity. So when I look at the, the the crucified Christ, when I look at the story of Jesus being crucified, uh, I don't see it as some sort of penal substitutionary atonement that like I was bad. And so Jesus had God had to kill God's son because that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I, I look at this, I look at that and say, God decided to suffer with me. So like every single time I see, I feel pain or like I'm working with somebody who is working through something painful or providing pastoral care. 
for whatever it is, um, to acknowledge suffering and say, you know what Christ suffered too and suffers with you and weeps with you to say that like, I am like no other gods or like belief system was doing that at the time, which is what I find super compelling is that like this, this way, this metaphor that we've come up to talk about God is that God saw it fit to suffer alongside God's creation and to say like, you know what? I could blow up the entire universe if I wanted to, but what I chose to do was to be vulnerable to say, like, I live among these people who are getting crucified. I live on the margins. I am in the most vulnerable. Yeah. And so that to me is compelling. And I think that reframing it from say like, you know, seeing the destruction of religion to saying like, you know what, actually like the true God, the true love, like the, like true love is found in someone who is willing to suffer alongside somebody else for the sake of justice. Yeah. That to me is religion and faith across the board. Yeah. And I mean, and even just like embracing the breath of life and human emotion, mm. like I feel like I've been asked that question a lot too. And for me, it's like, well, why does God cause grief and suffering? Well, because grief and suffering brings you closer to God. I mean, that's what I've experienced. Yeah, because it brings you closer to yourself. (laughs) Right, exactly. Which, Mm -hmm. good segue, because I do want to talk about this whole idea um, around, I I don't know if you've read uh, this guy, Robert A. Johnson has this little teeny great book. It's like 75 pages called Inner Gold. And it's all about, psychological projection and how we mm. we are too afraid to embrace the god within ourselves and so mm. we project it onto another and that we're in this very interesting time period in our world right now where we don't respect authority as much as we did back mm-hmm. when religion really came about but in because of that because we're kind of bringing god back into ourselves we are capable of doing a lot of damage because like in order to embrace God within it, like it's a big responsibility. It, 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 it requires us to, you know, uh, instead of just kind of going to a church and saying, that's God, this is, this is God over here. Like, how are we incorporating that into ourselves? Um, and I wonder if you can speak to that as well around like that, co-creation right that we're always engaged in between like it's us and it's god and it goes back and forth yeah i totally yeah so like there was this thing i used to do it. a lot of people in evangelical circles will do it is like say like you get up and like you like so i'm a, I'm a vocalist and uh, i got my degree in music education so i would sing the special music in church quote-unquote special music which just like sit down at the piano and sing a song like some sort of like pop christian song or some shit like that um, and people are like, oh my God, Kevin, you did so good. And more often than not, I would say, oh, it's not me. It's just God. It's all God. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. God did not make me practice. I practiced. God did not breathe, breathe the air into my lungs. I breathe the air like with my body. And, um, yeah. So like, there's this like, or like you would say, like, you know, you hear a really good sermon and you go up to someone and say, Oh my God, it was so moving or whatever it is. I'm sure someone else is like, Oh, I just want to give all the glory to God. Sure. Yes. And you have to recognize that just like the things that we create, like it is co-creation. Like uh, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote in the book, big magic, uh, which is one of my personal favorites. She talked about how creativity and like creative spirit is always a collaboration 
between you and the divine, whatever the divine is, whether it's like these ideas floating around in the ether or, you know, I don't think it's like an anthropomorphized personality in the way that we think of personality or consciousness, but that's another thing for another time. But to recognize that within us, God has given us these abilities, gifts, whatever it is to recognize that. And I also think that like Jesus, if anything, was trying to get people to realize like that they're worth something. And that worthiness comes from your divine, like your inherent createdness and within your createdness, your divinity. Like when we really, really dig down to like the very base of it, Jesus is saying like, you know, the kingdom of God is like right here. Like this is the divine, this gritty, messy, um, emotional, you know, blood, sweat, sex, tears, um, uh, hardship, laughter, like all of it, like this whole thing is divine. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what he was trying to, to get at was like, and once you can recognize the divinity in yourself, once you recognize God in yourself and you can, and you can love from that, you can love yourself from that place of just like, you know, I think I keep telling people just like love is the, in, the only inexhaustible resource is love. Um, and that is the thing that has continued to drive me um, forward. And I think that like, once you recognize in yourself, you start recognizing it in other people. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of talking about just like, or talking about divinity in terms of like my own body. Sometimes like I think about the presence of God as being something that I am unable to get away from because neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, powers nor principalities can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Um, and so I think about it in terms of like the atoms that make up the cells that make up the really complex, weird organ systems, like on the microscopic level, there is God. So like this right here, my skin, my hand is God is right here. And like, when I look at you, I'm just like, God's like right there in your perfectly shaped eyebrows, by the way, they look so good. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> but like, that's, that's how I think about it. It's just like, it's becoming like everyone will, some people will say like, well, we did this and God showed up. No, God was already there. And also God was already here in your body. And when you can recognize and wake yourself up to that reality, um, you don't have to project it out onto anything or to anyone. And when you have questions or understandings, you don't have to like blame uh, a person or a system or even like, you don't have to blame God out there there in the, in the whole world you can just say like oh i suffer and this hurts and god says yes it does mm-hmm. and like that's that's where i don't know if that made any sense no it did. <laughs> it did for sure i yeah i mean it reminded me actually too of of a, con- a conversation that i listened to you have on your podcast about polyamory and you said something that mm-hmm. i just thought was so wonderful around like I recognize that polyamory, non-monogamy, whatever, like these things aren't written about in the Bible. Right. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. there's, the, I think in order to like accept and understand that God is within us is to also recognize um, and fully integrate that God is like evolving and fluid. And mm, yeah. because we don't have everything in scripture, we don't have everything written down. And you said this thing about like, whatever I'm choosing to do as I'm exploring this journey through polyamory, that God is going to go with me on this journey. Yeah. Um, And this whole idea that like 
and, and, and to speak to that too, it's like, what do we do or what do you do in circumstances where you're trying to figure out what to explore when something isn't blatantly or even remotely mentioned in the Bible? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that that comes with like uh, a question of, uh, I guess like personal ethic. It's, it's like, I, it will always like for me again, coming from a Christian context, I root, I root a lot of my ethics on like, you know, the two greatest commandments just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, and also with the implicit, um, the implicit command to love oneself. So my question is always going to be like, what is, what is the most loving thing I can do? Um, in any situation. So for example, like with things like, um, my, me beginning to explore non-monogamy and polyamory, um, when I think about the way that I think I believe, cause again, for me, like polyamory is still a lot of just only theoretical knowledge for myself. I've never, uh, engaged in a non-monogamous relationship, um, yet I would like to. So if anyone's out there, holla at your girl, she's ready. We can have some fun. Um, <laughs> I, I look at, I look at it, all the actions that I'm taking from the perspective of just like, is this going to lead? I, I guess the, uh, I, I also, okay. I've just stuttered a whole lot, but now I know what I'm going to say. So if you want to okay. edit it back later, you no. can do it. <laughs> um, I ask what is the most loving? And then I also ask, um, like, what is the fruit of it? There's this really cool thing um, called the Wesleyan quadrilateral which was developed by John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist um, tradition of Christianity. And in that, he said that there are four things that we need to consider when interpreting scripture. And I would even say that, uh, I mean, if you are somebody of faith who has a particular kind of uh, tradition you come from, this is really helpful for that. And so it's been helpful for me coming from it. So it might not be completely applicable to um, anyone from different spiritual or religious traditions or non-religious peoples. Anyways, so the Wesleyan Quadrilateral is made up of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. So uh, I will go to scripture and say, what does the scripture say about X? Um, and then I will say, okay, so the scripture says this. And okay, what has my tradition said about this particular topic? How is it, like, how has the Bible traditionally been interpreted? And how has it developed into theopraxy? which is the practice of one's theology. What does we do in the practical realm? What has been socially acceptable? Um, third, we ask, what does my mind tell me? What is like, what does reason tell me about this topic? Like what, like what are the logical conclusions that I'm drawing? And obviously I think there's this point where like a lot of people have learned not to trust themselves. And this is where it gets a little weird for them because as a society, not just within Christianity, I think overall we've been taught to second guess ourselves to not trust our bodies and to trust that, and also to, to demonize our own desires. So when we, uh, don't trust ourselves, reason is like almost impossible to deal with because we're constantly second guessing ourselves. Um, and the fourth thing, which kind of ties in with reason is experience. It's like, what is the fruit of whatever this lived out ethic or theology is? So, for example, when I look at a, uh, a, a, a theology or a practice that is non-affirming of queer people, I, I, my experience of that is negative. I see bad fruit. I see death. I see uh, depression. I see homes broken up. You know, we don't have to like go far to like, say, hey, look, this is what LGBT uh, oppression looks like. 
Um, we're like, okay, that's bad. So that experience drives into my reason to say, this is a bad thing. What does my tradition said about this thing? So it just works its way backwards. Mm-hmm. It's like, what does my tradition say about this? My tradition says that homosexuality is wrong. Okay, well, I don't know how I can reconcile these two. I think that maybe there's a new way of thinking about this because uh, of what I've seen. And so we look at tradition and you can actually say tradition is wrong. And you know why you can say that? It's because Jesus did the same thing. He said, you have heard it said, but I tell you. So it's just like, we can go to, you have heard it said that homosexuality is a sin. You have heard that you can't do X, Y, and Z, but I tell you, this is my experience. This is my reason. And this is how I also look at scripture. Like our experience should always drive us back to all these things for reinterpretation. If it is bearing bad fruit. Um, and, um, I'm not talking to you, Siri. Um, and so for me, that's where I started like base it with like the things that I, I know are kind of in the Bible, quote unquote, but with like an evolving faith, um, things that aren't strictly talked about, like polyamory, I kind of go along the same lines of just like um, experience, reason, tradition of just like traditionally people have said that monogamy is the, is the way to go. And then my reason tells me based off of my own experiences of, of binaries and, and relationships in general, I know that maybe there is something more and that I want more. And then my experience has done the same thing. And so it's just one of these things where like, I want to learn how to trust myself. Um, I want to know how I can love people the best way I can. Um, And I want to make sure I am able to question the things I think that I know, because I think like, uh, progressives, we love to do this thing where we become fundamentalists of our own experiences where, you know, we finally realize that racism is a thing and we finally realize, you know, you know, we're progressives. And then anyone who's not progressive, like we're progressive, we're just like, well, fuck you. You're like, not really, you're not an SJW. We don't want you. Um, and I think that there's, um, there's wisdom in always walking with an open hand and hearing a a plethora of stories and being able to listen to somebody's stories without saying, Oh, that needs to be my story. Most stories are descriptive and not prescriptive, even mine. Um, like I have certain ideas about ways to open people up, but I know that at the end of the day, like every practice spiritually, sexually is going to be different from person to person. And it really comes, it comes with a lot of learning how to trust oneself and learning to listen to, I know I say listen to your body sounds like such a uh, that doesn't mean anything in and of itself, but that's the best way I know how to say like your instincts are worth your time. That's what my friend RV says. Your instincts are worth your time. And so to trust those instincts and then at the same time, having the people around you who can actually say, Hey, um, I know you think that this relationship is going to be good for you, but actually they're abusing you. Like having good community to to make sure to say like, Hey, I want you to be okay. I want you to be healthy. I want you to do what you want. And I want to love you. I'll make sure you're loving yourself well. So having community is also a really good thing. And I think that's the difference between there's the last thing I'll say and I'll shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a difference between a Western mindset of uh, individualism and a Western mindset of collectivism that I think that we can all take a note from. So, for example, in uh, most European culture and Eastern, or excuse me, Western culture, Western culture says, I know who I am when I'm by myself. It's like very individualistic, like I am special. Yes. And all those things are true. 
but it's, it's very much focused on like the individual experience versus the experience of the collective. So if uh, individualism says, I know who I am when I'm by myself, um, collectivism would say, I know who I am when I'm with my people. So Asian cultures are very family oriented. They are, uh, they have like a very strong culture and ways of observing said culture. Um, and there's something beautiful about that sort of commitment to one another that I love so much. And so I, when I think about that, I try to live the same way. Like I know who I am when I'm with my people, like my close queer friends, um, people who can see the fullness of who I am and people who also have been encountered, who have encountered like my dark side, if you will. So that they can recognize when I'm not doing well, when they, re when they can recognize I'm acting outside of my own personal set of ethics. Um, yeah. So I, I, nav I, I try to navigate things with an open hand curiosity um, and uh, the ability to say, I'm sorry when I mess up. Yeah. That was a whole lot. I'm sorry. I talk for forever. It's my, no, um... I love it. That's why <laughs> for people to talk forever. That's so I can just listen in awe. <laughs> um, so usually, like, I think it's because I'm usually on your side of the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've had the same experience when yeah. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I have talked for 20 minutes. And like, I don't even remember what the question they asked me was. Anyway, it's all good. I love being tangential. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I know we, you touched on it at the beginning in terms of magic and I oh, love, yeah. <laughs> I'm an astrologer. I do tarot. I have a fucking altar. Like I do magic all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, just in thinking about, you know, and I think I had mentioned this to you on the phone when we first spoke, like I went through this weird situation growing up where I was very unaware of what spirituality was. So for right. me, when it came to faith and God, it was like, you are religious, you are a part of a religion or you're atheist or agnostic. And for me, I guess I identified as agnostic for a while because, and my definition of that was just like, I don't really know. Um, and I'm, I kind of see both sides and maybe I'm not like smart enough or evolved enough to figure this out or have an answer. And then I guess for me, it happened through astrology of like recognizing this really uncanny connection between mm -hmm. what I was experiencing and what was happening in the sky. And then through that modality kind of discovered quote unquote spirituality, which is obviously like a very broad mm -hmm. umbrella term. Um, but I would love if you could talk a little bit about what you see as the difference and how you've kind of integrated them both. Yeah. I honestly, so like, here's the, here's, the, here's the true T It's like, I don't see a difference between yeah. like Christian practice and like magic practices or like, um, I had this really powerful experience, um, right around the time I came out with my friend, Jenny Lee and Jenny Lee is a uh, energy response therapist. And when I first heard that, I said, that sounds like a little bullshit. I don't want to do that. And plus like, I was still like, I was cool with like me being gay but I wasn't cool with like anything else. I was still pretty much like a fundamentalist. Like I'm talking like literal seven day creation, like the whole nine yards. I was still there. It took a, took a while. Um, but she said, um, well just do this session with me. And if something good happens, then awesome. You get a positive experience. You get to walk away enriched. And then, uh, and then she also said conversely, like, and if you read it, if we do this thing and you don't respond to it, then you remain unchanged and your life is fine you're right where you were. You lose nothing. 
And I said, okay, why not? Kid you not. We sit down for first 20 minutes. It's an hour long session. I'm in tears. I am in tears because like she was able to pull up this stuff, this trauma that I was dealing with, like stuff I just hadn't dealt with because like I was so bad and still pretty bad with dealing with feelings, but I'm working on it. Um, I'm way better than I was three years ago. That's for sure. But I was just then beginning to like start to work through the trauma that I've been carrying with me. And I didn't know how, I don't know how she accessed it, but like, just like something in the spirit. I don't know. And that was the thing. And the thing I recognized is that, Oh my gosh, this is the same feeling I get when I know like the spirit of God is in the room or the Holy spirit is, is here. Or like, I just become aware of it. And I was like, wow. Okay. So we're talking to the same thing using different tools and different language and different ways of like getting people to experience that, that unity. Um, and so that's, that was my, my gateway into this sort of thing. And so it started with tarot cards and, um, that practice has been really powerful for me to, uh, interrogate my own feelings. And I re so like the thing I like about tarot is that so much of it is like, you know, look at the cards, there's a certain meaning to every card and the position and blah, 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 blah. But I'm such a intuitive reader now. So I'll, I'll lay things out and I'll just like, look at what the story is saying. And just like, for me, it feels no different than giving like a word for somebody or like, it was so weird. Um, uh, I was at the liturgist gathering like last weekend. Um, and my friend, Jamie Lee Finch, who is a self-identified sex, witch, if you want to get someone on the car, like, if you want to get someone on this podcast, who's like bomb at talking about sex, body, religion, and faith, she's the, she's the girl. Yeah. I will hit you. Um, <laughs> so we had this really long experience uh, weekend. The liturgist is like a gathering of like post evangelicals and Christians, non-Christians, atheists, people who just still feel really connected to like some kind of spiritual practice, but it's, we wouldn't call it strictly Christian, but it's like Christian leaning sometimes. Um, even Jamie who comes from that world, um, but is like definitely a full blown witchy woman. And uh, I went up to her and I just wanted to give her a hug, but then like we looked into each other's eyes and like, I legit, like as as like someone who like is so like empirically based sometimes I felt like I had a word for her and so I just all I did was speak some truth over her that what I saw and I was like wow I haven't done that in a long time and it would happen to be with my one friend who is a witch that mm -hmm. I would pull out this kind of shit and I'm like all, it's all the same it's all the same source um so yeah, sorry to, to answer like the original question, like um, it's all kind of led to this, this understanding that God is not confined to one way of communication, one way of uh, presenting God's self to the world. Um, because like the best we know how to do is talk about God in metaphor anyways, no matter what we do. And so for me, I look at my Christian faith the same way I look at like my magical practices is like, if at the end of the day, all this is, is a symbol, a metaphor for something, even if this is just pointing me toward an ideal that I hope to achieve, even if like all my crystals are just rocks, a rock can remind me to be grounded. You know, a rock can inspire beauty. And I'm like, and that's holy too. And also just like, if it allows me to like 
become a better human through, you know, changing my mind to repent is to change the mind. Right. Then I think it's, I think it's a good practice. I don't know if that answered your question at all. Yeah, no. Yeah, it does. I mean, but to to me, it's all the same thing. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, it even speaks, I think, to what we were talking about before about this, like God inside and outside. Cause I think about all the time, like when I'm pulling cards of like, this is kind of a message from the outside, but it's also what I'm thinking internally. And it's it's the reflection that's going back and forth. It's like, how do I, how do I talk to God? I talk to myself. I talk to this inner wisdom that's living here that when I can just shut up, if I can just get quiet, I can actually hear what my inner wisdom is trying to say, like what my body has been telling me this whole time. Right. Right. And like that intuition is actually God's voice. Right. And yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just taught not to trust that. And I think that's like, you know, like there is like, that's why I, I believe in such like the collective wisdom of like having good friends and good community around you who can like, tell you when you're listening more to your ego than to the spirit um, or to your own inner wisdom, however you want to call that. Um, Cause like, I think the pro- like good religion and good spirituality tries to help supplant the ego a little bit and allows us to um, get out of our own way because the ego wants to self-preserve at all time. The ego wants to be the center of attention. And so when we dethrone our ego, if you will, you know, and uh, put love the, oh my gosh, I've, I'm so full of Christian metaphors, put love on the throne of our life mm-hmm. and let that be the thing that moves us and rules us. Then we're in a much better place. And like, you know, that love leads towards, I just think about this way. Like if I can love, I want to love myself so much that I can pour it. I can lavish it on other people. Like that is like, that's good faith to me is to like, be so in love with who God created you to be that you inspire it in other people. It's just, and that's what, like, I think, like, uh, I think magical practices have done for me too. It's like, there's what I love about it. Like all the things I'm reading this book right now by Lisa Lister called witch. I'm just talking about her journey of reclaiming her, uh, her faith, uh, and her magic. Um, but there's so, much about just like you were told that you couldn't trust your body, but like God, your body is the thing that God created. You know, I think about like, we were talking about it earlier, like co-creation. Um, if you look at the the Hebrew scriptures um, for the Genesis story or Genesis myth, whatever you want to call it. Um, so the, the first man, not Adam, but the Adam people render it as Adam, but it's not Adam. Um, it was Adam, which meant the human or the groundling. Uh, or the ground being um, was taken out of Adama, which is the earth. And Adama is the feminine version of that. So God, who's being traditionally understood as a male, collaborates with the earth, who is understood to be a female, to bring forth new life of something that was a, a thing of both, a human. And it's not till the separation of the Adam into Ish and Isha, the man and the woman, that it comes into existence. So like, this thing that we are made of, whether it's dirt or dust or stardust or like the divine has breathed itself into us and has, is also like what we're made of. And that realization to me, I think is like, 
I think it's key. I think it's the thing that's going to, to wake people up. It's just becoming aware, you know? And then like, and that's why I think magical practices are also cool too. So like also anyone can get into tarot, right? Like it's like this thing. I was like, I can't read tarot. Yes, you can grab a deck, like start playing around. You'll figure it out. Get a book, (laughs) Get get a little baby book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where like these tools are simply exactly what you said tools to get in touch with what's going on on the inside to name what's happening right now to name the desire of what we want to see going forward too. like it's all um that's all it is that's all these things are at their best because if they're if religion or faith or practice is causing you to be upset to be sad to not like yourself that's not good religion it's not good faith like why would you want to why would you want to like I encounter this all the time with like, again, Christians, like why would you want to follow a type of faith that makes you miserable? If you don't like if like go find another religion or go find another way of practicing. Usually within your own tradition, there's a way of practicing that's going to jive with who God created you to be. Mm-hmm. And that, and it might not be, maybe you have to leave it completely or like, and that's okay too. Like God isn't confined to four walls or any sort of practice. Right. And what are your thoughts on like moving and I guess shifting into like what you see in the work in the future and, and the work mm. that you're doing in the world? Do yeah. you feel like, <clears throat> like, because there's still such destructive mm-hmm. shit happening in religious yeah. communities, right? Is the, is your, do you feel called to like go back there and try and like pull out the good and convince people and change people? Or do you see the work and like, let me create new spaces and new community. And hopefully Mm -hmm. these people will find me and like for other people too, that might be struggling with, well, where I was raised or my family, like, is it worthwhile to try and change or, or right. Or does it make more sense to kind of just be like, you know what, I'm going to take what I can take. I'm going to take what's good. And I'm going to chart my own course and move forward. I, I don't even, that is yes and no. It's like yes and no to both. So I, this is, so if I am someone who claims to follow Jesus and I believe in a thing called grace, I believe that that grace is accessible to all people, including my enemies whom I am instructed to pray for and to see the humanity in them, even when they can't see it in me, which is like how we break the cycle of violence in the world. But it is really, really hard because I, 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 and this is something I went about too. I love being a Christian. I don't really care. (laughs) This is probably going to get like me some heretic points. I do not care if the church falls apart. In fact, like it's doing it already. It's doing a fantastic job of dying on its own. I don't need to do any, like people have said, just like, you're trying to take down the church. I'm just like, yeah, kind of, to be honest. Um, Because I look at the church sometimes. I'm just like, this is like an over 2000 year old experiment in organized religion. And the results that have yielded are horrendous by and large horrendous. Granted, a lot of good has happened because of certain things. Um, and people have found meaning in it for centuries and centuries. But by and large, the impact on the world has been a negative one. So in my mind, it needs to do one of two things. Change drastically or die. And um, 
I mean, like, it's pretty obvious the church is quote unquote dying right now. And that's okay with me because I'm also a person who believe like, you know, we say that we believe in a risen, a risen savior, which literal resurrection. Sure. Maybe whatever. But the thing that always gets me is, is the metaphor of resurrection of that in order for something new to spring up, it's like, it's like with any sort of season in life, you can't take, you can't take old fruit from one season into another one. It's going to rot in the next season. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now with the church is that the church has been trying so hard to hold on to a very specific way of, this is how you be a Christian. This is how we be the church. This is how we do X, Y, and Z. So it's dying and it's hold it's grasping on to like what little power it has left in society. Um, at least within like American evangelical context, um, you look at something as you look at something as large as the Catholic Church. I even think like in twenty years the Catholic Church is either going to look much differently or it's going to be declining. Um, so it, that's that's my attitude is that like I feel my job as a spiritual person, pastor, whatever you you want to call me, is to my job is to go find the one sheep who has left the flock and doesn't know where they belong anymore, um, and say hey there's a flock over here that you can join. Like this table is set. We can get you some soup. Come hang out with us. Like this is the, this is the cool kids table slash the weird kids table. We all hang out together. So that's, that's what I'm here to do. I, I don't feel personally called to try and uh, do a lot of reforming work. Um, I feel like a lot of my, my heart is really about building new spaces and like doing things new ways and, trying to figure out how to do them more expansively. If people want to invite me into their space to help reform a space, I am more than willing to cheer them on. But like, I feel like oftentimes people just say, we got to be bridge builders. We got to be bridge builders. And I think there's a a space for that, but a lot of people don't want to pay for the materials. A lot of people don't want to actually want to co-labor. They want someone from our marginalized identity group to bring the supplies, bring our expertise and building knowledge, build this bridge and then we just hope that people are going to walk across it. Um, and, but when you are co-laboring with people to build something, then everyone's doing it together. And there, that to me is important. Um, if I'm choosing to engage in spaces that aren't 100% affirming of my identity already. Um, and I, and I still like, I, I still think advocacy work and changing policies within churches is important because it's harm reduction. So um, I, I do work with the Reformation Project in our local chapter to help reform local churches in that way. Um, but I just, I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the church fell apart tomorrow because I feel like the Holy Spirit is kind of waking us all up to the reality that God is bigger than the church. Yeah. And that God is bigger than one religious tradition and that we can see God in everyone. So like one thing I thought about this is like, the question comes down to me is like, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a person of faith? If, if being a Christian means that I'm trying to follow the path of Jesus, who believed that we should be taking care of the poor, who believed that um, justice and like power was not found in an empire, but power is found inside of a person, then yeah, I'm following Christ. And I also think that if that's the truth, if that what it doesn't mean Christian, I think Gandhi was a Christian too. I think that, uh, you know, Muhammad, the, the prophet, peace be upon him, uh, 
was, you know, followed some teachings of Christ because and they also, they believe that Jesus was a real person and a prophet. They don't believe he was the real son of God. Yeah. Well, same with Jews. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, and the thing is just like, I wonder, and this is like, this is where like, again, heretic points. I'm just like, do they make like, <sighs> what, like, what if like all of the apostles, like, were just like, oh my gosh, we just want to help reform the Jewish tradition. And then it's just like, but what if he was like God, you know, they just like, I people have said just like, you know, Jesus started a movement, his followers started a church and that's when it got messy. Um, I want to get back to the movement. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. I mean, and I think though, the one piece about the church that makes sense to me, like, is this communal aspect. Like mm-hmm. it is so fucking vital and imperative for us to yes. create safe spaces like physical spaces yes and i i think about this all the time because it's kind of what i want to do in the world and i think about just like physical space a ton and um and how physical space has done so much as far as any sort of like equality movement throughout time right and like constructing places physical Mm -hmm. places on earth for for people to exist Um, and so it's like, how can we take that aspect of the church, which I think is beneficial and say like, we can still have, you know, I, I don't want to use the word institutionalized or anything like that, but we can still have this like constructed physical space where people can come together without Mm -hmm. it being, you know, super prescriptive and prejudiced and here are the rules and here's what you can yeah. and cannot do. And, and here's what you have to believe. And here's what you can't believe. Right. right, right. There's um, there's a few spaces cropping up like that. There's um, Imaginarium in Nashville is um, a spiritual community that kind of does the same thing. They wanted like, they're all people who came from like church world and like religious world and wanted to build something that was kind of like beyond Christianity and, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of drew on those tenets because that's what a lot of them come from but also like talking about things that actually matter. So like they spent all of November talking about racism in Nashville. And I'm like, that is spirituality. Totally. How do we love our black neighbors? Um, and I think at its best, the church should be having those conversations. Um, and I think that there's a space to love. I actually had a conversation with someone like, is it possible to have like a post biblical Christianity? Like, can we just like, we recognize the Bible is got all this nuance. And when you read it a certain way, I'm like, I would really just like, I would just like to move on. I'm like, I'm the Bible's good. I don't, I don't want to have to like justify it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like, it's full of shitty, shitty things. And so like, why don't I just like name that it's full of shitty things and I don't fuck with those things. <laughs> yeah. But of course, like all my theologian friends are like, no, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I love it. There's actually, there's an, I'm going out there probably in February. There's an organization out in Utah called Encircle that has like, has created a safe space for, um, LGBTQ kids who come from Mormon families. Um, and I just like, again, to like have like, here is a safe space for you to come and we can. Yeah. Yeah. It's having space. I do think there's something about when you can make a physical space sacred and you like when you bring the right kinds of people in the room to create, like um, my friend, Mickey Scott Bay Jones um, came up with this thing called the invitation to brave space. And she always talks about how like, there's no safe space ever because what's safe for you. Isn't going to be safe for me. Isn't going to be safe for the next person. And so she calls it brave space. 
because she knows that like, if we can just come from a, a perspective of, uh, I'm going to be uncomfortable probably. And I'm going to press in anyways. I'm going to tell you when you hurt me, you're going to tell me when I hurt you, we're going to, uh, work towards forgiveness. If those things come up and again, open hands, we're going to, we have a, the one of the lines says we have a right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. And I have that, like, it's just like a mantra. It's just like, I want, like, I know that like, I'm not perfect, but I want to keep going. And so the, the setting a stage of physical space for people to come. Cause like when you like, if your home isn't safe or if your home isn't fully welcoming of you, like to go into a space where you are completely and fully loved, um, to like, it can be life changing. It was for me. Yeah. yeah same. Like, I remember the first time I walked into an affirming space. Yeah. Mind blowing. Yeah. I love that brave space thing. Cause I also like take such issue with like this whole like millennial safe space thing, which I feel like can be just as sort yeah, of debilitating. Like, it's like, it's like, it's a space that honors and breeds vulnerability is what we need. Mm-hmm. We don't need anything that shuts anything down of like, Oh, that's a trigger. That's a, this, that's a, this it's like, I, we need spaces where are, we are free and able mm-hmm. to be a hundred percent ourselves and be accepted for whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's like, we got to recognize like what's life giving for some people is going to be triggering for other people. Like for me, like um, I'm still a worship leader. Like, and so for so many people, worship music or anything that like is akin to it, even if you change the words, change the language, even if you like write new music, anything like it can be triggering. But then for someone like me, it's deeply healing. And for a lot of people, it can be deeply healing. So it's one of those things like how like we we hold that. And what was cool, um, sorry to drop the liturgist gathering again, but at the liturgist gathering, after each activity, so we did this like really, really long visualization exercise. And we're like, and they said, how did you, how did that feel as this audience of 400 people, just people shout out. It was good. It was great. People were just like, it was kind of triggering to be honest. It was like, I felt really uncomfortable. Um, I didn't get it. I was kind of bored. Like everyone just shared with their, and I'm just like, yeah, we honor the dignity of all responses. Right. That is to me, it's, it's more productive. That's for fucking sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I could probably have this conversation with you for like six hours, but to wrap so up, two turns questions. Turns out we should have another podcast where we talk about even, we can probably like pick a subject and drill down deeper. I think that yes, could be fun. I do too. I do too. And I also want to have you on mine and then we can like drill down on stuff and yeah. you can talk for five ever too. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, okay. So two, my two last questions. One, I know you talked about a lot of books. Um, if there was one though, I ask everyone this that comes on my show, if there was one that you could really like give to everyone in the world, what would it be? And then the second one, the second question is where can people find you? Right. Oh man. One book, only one. I mean, you mentioned others, so it's like, you kind of, you kind of got a lot of other ones in there. I know this is a really annoying question. Yeah. Um, I would probably suggest for just, um, for just life well led, um, big magic, honestly, Elizabeth Gilbert, big magic. Um, especially if you're a creative type and any, any sort of spiritual person, the way that she frames creativity and living a creative life for me, I think it, for me, big magic is a holy text. Um, it really just allowed me to really get in touch with like my own creative spirit and take the pressure off of creativity too. Um, 
And if I were to pick one more, because I'm going to do that, because <laughs> um, Sister, Sister Outsider, the, cor- the collection of essays by Audre Lorde. Amazing. Um, Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, black, lesbian, uh, feminist, uh, excuse me, uh, feminist and womanist, um, Audre Lorde. She's yeah, just she's fire. She's my favorite. Yeah. So Sister Outsider is the name of that collection of essays. And if you want to find me on the internet, um, I'm Kevin Garcia. You can Google me or go to thekevingarcia.com. All of my links and social media and stuff is there. My Patreon, the the YouTube channel, the blog, it's all there. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Thank you. This was so, so fun. I'm so glad that we got connected through the good old internet. Hello. Welcome back. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Kevin. Um, If you did, I really encourage you to go check out all of Kevin's content. He has so much stuff out on the internet from his podcast to YouTube, his website, etc. He's doing such cool work in the world. I'm really looking forward to hopefully connecting with him again. Um, If you'd like to support me and the podcast and get a lot of cool perks, head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates. The song I'm going to play you out with uh, today is by my brother. Uh, My brother doesn't record music anymore, but he did for uh, the vast majority of his early 20s. And this is a song called Empire, which I should have played earlier because it's like a very good soundtrack to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Um, But uh, I mentioned this on maybe I forget what episode number, but um, his music is also the music that plays in my intro. So basically just fangirling out on my brother right now. Um, if you'd like to go find his music, uh, he sp- decided to spell his name phonetically so that people could, uh, I guess, find him easier and know how to pronounce his name. He and I have like very strange names. Our last name is has two A's. Like our first name is Anya and Mika. They're, these are not names that people like recognize or say right. So in a, uh, in effort to be a little bit more um, clear, uh, Mika decided to spell his name M-E-E-K-A-K-A-T-E-S. So if you want to find his music, that's how you can do so on Spotify. Um, as always, in the show description that I post, you guys will always find information about the guests that I interview or just about the show, the book that they recommend, and the music in case you forget to uh, listen. And that's it. Um, enjoy the song. Enjoy your week, and I'll talk to you next time. I've seen the best lines of my generation Package shipped and sold Numbers change color as the young become old And I can see why, but I don't know how Thousands can bury their brains in the ground